A well-regulated militia be necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm so glad you're with us on the program today. Uh, A day in which we will not see the uh, House vote on a ban on so-called assault weapons. No. Supposedly, uh, again, that's because uh, the progressive flank of uh, House Democrats have decided that uh, a a bill that would increase funding for local law enforcement uh, is a bridge too far. I'm not sure I entirely buy that explanation because supposedly this was supposed to be a horse trade, right? The the progressives would go along with uh, increasing uh, local police funding and the moderates, quote unquote, uh, in the uh, House Democratic Caucus would fall in line uh, behind the ban on so-called assault weapons. And now it seems like the progressives are being uh, uh, blamed for the uh, inaction here. You know, the one thing that makes me think there's something else going on is that, as we've talked about over the past week or so, the number of House co-sponsors for the gun ban bill stuck at 212. Pelosi needed 216. For passage, there might have been a couple of Republicans. I think there probably are a couple of Republicans willing to sign on, um, but I don't think they actually had the votes for the gun ban bill. Ba- based on everything I've heard, it doesn't sound like the votes were there. And maybe it's easier to uh, you know say, "Well, we're going to revisit this in August. We're going to keep working at it, uh, and you know, try to throw the uh, the squad under the bus." There, say, "Well, you know, they're the ones who don't want to fund police." Um, because Democrats are desperate to avoid the defund police label between now and the midterms. Not so desperate to avoid the gun ban party label. I, I don't get it, but uh, whatever. Uh, anyway, so supposedly the bill could be voted on, the gun ban bill and the police funding bill, uh, could be voted on when the House returns from its August recess. I think that's unlikely, but uh, as gun owners, you know, we we should err on the side of caution. And so I would encourage you to uh, contact your representative uh, during the August recess. Let them know that you're opposed to uh, H.R. 1808, as well as uh, the bill to repeal the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. Don't know that it'll make a difference, but uh, hopefully they're listening. And hopefully we can keep this uh, gun ban bill bottled up before the midterms. Uh, we are not going to spend the entire show talking about the uh, gun ban bill that is not... Uh, going to be voted on this week. Or we have other stuff to talk about, including a, a new legal challenge to the Biden administration's pending ATF rule on <clears throat> ghost guns. Yeah. Unserialized frames and revolvers, specifically, or not, uh, as I say, frames and revolvers, frames and receivers, excuse me. Uh, and uh, specifically, the DIY uh, gun making kits that are sold. You know, coming up next month, these new rules are going to go into effect. And among the changes uh, would be the requirement that these kits come with a serialized, unfinished frame or revolver. Um, Yeah, I know. Meanwhile, if you want to buy just the 80% lower or the 80% frame, according to the new ATF rules, that's still allowed. doesn't have to be serialized. There's no rhyme or reason to this. 
Honestly, this is a power grab on the part of the ATF. And now Gun Owners of America and 17 uh, state attorneys general have filed a lawsuit in federal court in North Dakota uh, challenging these new rules. So the AGs here, uh, let's see, the, uh, and I'm just going to go by the state because I don't know the names of all of the AGs. Uh, Arizona, West Virginia, Alaska, Arkansas, Idaho, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Texas, Utah, and Wyoming. I'm a little surprised that uh, Virginia's Republican Attorney General Jason Miara is not a part of this lawsuit, but uh, <clears throat> he's not uh, for whatever reason. Hopefully he'll sign on. But uh, 17... Republican AGs, along with the Gun Owners of America and the Gun Owners Foundation, and uh, two individual plaintiffs, I believe, uh, Morehouse Enterprises uh, and uh, Eliezer Jimenez, uh, again, filing suit, challenging these new regulations, which are scheduled to go into effect next month. Mark Brnovich, the attorney general in Arizona, said, quote, the ATF is attempting to overshoot the authority granted to it by Congress. The rulemakings are unconstitutional, impractical, and would likely put a large number of parts manufacturers out of business. So the lawsuit uh, says uh, in part that the uh, improper regulation by the ATF in the final rule on frames and receivers exceeds not only the agency's authority under any statute that Congress enacted, but also the federal government's limited constitutional authority under the Interstate Commerce Clause, thus violating the Tenth Amendment. Uh, of the uh, U.S. Constitution. Uh, the lawsuit goes on to say the final rule uh, violates, thus violates the principles of federalism under which the federal government has only limited and specifically enumerated powers and may not exercise powers reserved solely to the states by the Tenth Amendment. The final rule unconstitutionally subverts Congress's authority, exercising quintessentially legislative powers in a manner that could never pass either, let alone both, houses of Congress today, which is precisely why the defendants have no intent whatsoever to ask for legislative authorization to take such unprecedented actions. Yet under our Constitution, the president, much less unelected and unaccountable bureaucrats within the executive branch, is not a king who can exercise this sort of unbridled power unilaterally. Additionally, the lawsuit says the final rule will make it exceedingly harder, if not impossible, for the citizens of the plaintiff states to manufacture their own firearms, conflicting with and, in effect, preempting the more permissive laws of the plaintiff states, thereby undermining the state's ability to enforce their own legal codes with respect to items and activities that the federal government may not constitutionally regulate. Similarly, the final rule erects significant barriers to and thus infringes the lawful acquisition of protected arms within the states the keeping and bearing of which contributes to the security of a free state, including the plaintiff states. Um, I, I want to quote one more section of this lawsuit uh, challenging the, uh, the ATF's new rules, because I, I think this is important as well. They say, quote, the breadth of the final rule is a massive or is massive in the changes to federal firearms law that it imposes on the American people by regulation rather than by legislation. The final rule represents perhaps the most sweeping gun control scheme since the Gun Control Act of 1968, incorporating many of the restrictions found in the legislative wish list of the nation's most radical anti-Second Amendment groups, but restrictions which Congress has never seriously considered, much less enacted. These changes cannot be viewed 
in isolation. Uh, as the changes imposed in ATF's omnibus rulemaking work together to bring the nation much closer to an outcome clearly prohibited by the Second Amendment, mandated serialization of all firearms and some gun parts, enabling the ATF to mandate federal record keeping of all firearms, followed by ATF forced collection of all such records, followed by the entry of those records into a federal database amounting to a registration of firearms and their owners. And as history has taught all too often, registration leads to confiscation. So the new rule is scheduled to take effect, I believe, August 24th. So we've got some time here for a, a judge to rule, uh, hopefully uh, granting the request for a, a temporary injunction and then a, ultimately a permanent injunction barring uh, the enforcement uh, of these new rules promulgated by the Biden administration. Don't forget, too, we've got a second rule that uh, has been finalized that is scheduled to go into effect in September. This one dealing with pistol stabilizing braces. And again, just like with the frames and receivers rule, the ATF has given itself an awful lot of wiggle room to say what is and is not allowed. And it's almost on a case-by-case basis. So rather than objective determinations as to whether or not a particular firearm violates the ATF's rule on short barrel rifles, for example, when it comes to the pistol stabilizing braces, the ATF has said, well, you know, if you put a stabilizing brace uh, on an AR-style pistol, uh, it could be, could be considered a short barrel rifle. Might not be. Don't really know. But if we do determine that it is a short barrel rifle, uh, I mean, that's an unregistered NFA item, 10 years in prison, right? And the goal, I think, is to chill individuals from using these braces lawfully by, again, making it so vague and arbitrary as to whether or not you are operating inside the law that you really have no idea. And so, therefore, all right, well, better safe than sorry. I won't use one of these braces. I think that this law, too, obviously is going to be subject to a legal challenge. I think this also overstates and oversteps the ATF's authority. But we will see uh, in just a few weeks here what the uh, federal judge in North Dakota is going to do with the uh, uh, new rule on unserialized frames and receivers. I think it's a pretty good case, honestly. Uh, And I am pleased to see, again, uh, 17 AGs sign on. I just wish that there were more because I know that there are a couple of other Republican AGs who, uh, at least so far anyway, not a party. For this lawsuit, and I'd like to see that change. Now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, our recidivist report. We're going to start there, uh, and it's not just one story we're talking about, but what's going on uh, in the city of Buffalo, where police say repeat gun offenses are on the rise, despite the New York SAFE Act, despite all of the gun control laws already on the books in New York. And these uh, law enforcement officers are pointing to bail reform as the issue. Mm -hmm. Um, This comes from uh, WIVB in Buffalo, New York. The uh, police commissioner there, Joseph Grimaglia, said in the past three months, there have been three incidents where a suspect has fired a gun at officers. And in each of those cases, the suspects were either on parole or on probation. Grimaglia said they're convicted felons. And they're out of the streets carrying guns with apparently no fear of the criminal justice system. Well, I mean, given that New York Democrats have 
targeted legal gun owners far more than they have violent criminals. I, I, I can imagine that a number of violent offenders are walking around uh, feeling like uh, they have uh, carte blanche to commit these crimes. According to Gramaglia, from 2019 to now, probably the end of June, there have been 184 people in the city of Buffalo who have been arrested multiple times on gun offenses. He says, why are they out on the street a second time? Why are they out on the street a third time? I have one, he says, with seven gun arrests since 2019. Erie County DA John Flynn says there are a couple of reasons why we're seeing so many prolific offenders. He says, quote, the judges are setting lower amounts of bail on these individuals with gun charges because of the mandate that they got on January 1st, 2020 of the least restrictive form of bail. He said, I'm seeing Buffalo City Court judges put five ten thousand dollars on gun charges where pre-bail reform, it was consistently fifty to $100,000. WIBV points out as well, there's also unsecured bond where uh, basically if you've got somebody willing to vouch for you, that's all that it takes to be released from jail. Uh, putting up less than 10% of bail to get somebody out of jail uh, could be a signature bond where Flynn uh, says a family member comes in and basically signs a sheet of paper and says, I promise to give you money if the person takes off. Uh, Gramaglia says when you have somebody who's arrested for a violent felony, there's no reason they should be out on the streets of the city of Buffalo. I, I will disagree with that because being arrested is not the same as being convicted. And in order for somebody to be held without bail in jail while they await trial, there does need to be, I think, clear and convincing evidence that that person poses a, a threat to themselves or the community or is a flight risk. I don't think that you could put, I don't think we should be putting everybody arrested, even for violent offenses, in jail until their trial begins. First of all, we have major delays in our criminal justice system. We have people who are waiting years to go to trial. You can't keep somebody locked up in jail on charges for a matter of years before they get their day in court. That's not the answer either. But again, when you're dealing with repeat offenders, individuals who've been arrested two, three, seven times for various violent crimes over the past couple of years, that to me is a no-brainer that this person poses a threat to themselves or the communities, uh, at least there's evidence of such, and that they should be kept behind bars while they await trial. Uh, again, I don't think Gramaglia is going to get what he wants, nor frankly should he, but something's got to give in New York. And unfortunately, again, New York Democrats, they don't seem to care about this, but they're perfectly willing to send you to prison for you know three to five years if you are a concealed carry holder and you even accidentally set foot onto a property that has been labeled or mandated as a gun-free zone, as long as New York lawmakers are more interested in criminalizing the right to keep and bear arms than they are in addressing violent criminals, yeah, we're going to see more stories like this out of Buffalo and, uh, frankly, a lot of other cities in New York State. Today's Armed citizen story. From Wisconsin, Eau Claire, where a, a district attorney has uh, dismissed a charge of reckless homicide, saying that a, a shooting back in February 2021 was self-defense. Now, the twist here is that the individual who was acting in self-defense uh, is a convicted felon. 
and is facing a number of other charges. In fact, could spend 48 years in prison based on the other charges that they're facing. But look, even as a prohibited person, you have the right of self-defense. You don't have the right to use a gun in self-defense, but your act of self-defense itself is still protected by law. So uh, this guy, uh, Selwyn Smith, uh, had charges of a first-degree reckless murder dismissed against him on Wednesday. In return, Smith ended up pleading uh, no contest to being a felon in possession of a firearm, as well as bail jumping and two methamphetamine charges uh, in a separate case. The DA in Eau Claire County uh, said that based on what happened, he believes that the Castle Doctrine applies, that uh, Selwyn uh, ended up shooting and killing a man named Freddie Flowers. Smith said that the victim had broken down his door, punched him in the face, and that he shot Flowers in self-defense. Selwyn Smith said that Flowers under the impression that Smith was sleeping with Flowers' girlfriend. So, again, the act of self-defense itself, protected by law. The drug charges, being a felon in possession of a firearm, not protected by law. And as I said, uh, Smith faces potentially 48 years in prison on the drug and uh, felon in possession charges. I I doubt highly that he's going to get 48 years in prison. Sentencing is uh, set for December. So if we uh, if we all remember, I'll try to give you an update uh, on the Selwyn Smith story uh, here in a few months. Uh, finally, today's good deed of the day. Take a look at this uh, still from dash cam footage. This is in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Uh, and this was actually a, a couple of months ago, but the uh, the, the the story itself is um, just now going viral. Uh, that is Lance Hoffmeister. He's an officer there with the Murfreesboro Police Department. And that uh, little old lady there, uh, 84-year-old Elizabeth Good. Hoffmeister says that he was driving down the road, and he noticed what appeared to be a senior citizen walking down the highway with her walker. So he pulled over and uh, asked the woman what was going on. Did she need any help? Elizabeth Good told Hoffmeister that she had taken a bus from Nashville. And she was trying to make it to her uh, appointment at a, a hair salon about a mile up the road from where they were. So Officer Hoffmeister says, well, listen, I'll give you a ride. He says, uh, I lost my grandmother a couple of years back, and it just gave me that feeling all over again. And just the, you know, sincere nostalgia. He said it was a, a great feeling. Uh, Elizabeth Good made her hair appointment. She got her perm. <laughs> and uh, Officer Hoffmeister says it was definitely a sweet moment. I'll always remember it, and I'm sure that Elizabeth Good will as well. So uh, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing to help a uh, 84-year-old make it to her destination safe and sound. Officer Hoffmeister there in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, we thank you for your very, very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I know that I said yesterday we were going to be talking with Jim Wallace of the Gun Owners Action League on today's program. Well, Jim is back at the state capitol in Boston today. Uh, the end of the legislative session is supposed to take place no later than Sunday. Legislators are trying to wrap things up this afternoon, and there are still some moving pieces as far as uh, gun control legislation, this uh, a, a truly terrible amendment that was attached to an IT bill 
uh, in Massachusetts earlier this week uh, by the uh, House, but the state Senate may or may not vote on it. So Jim's going to join us on Monday with an after action report. We should have a much better idea of where things stand, at least for the next couple of months in Massachusetts uh, after the weekend. So uh, I look forward to having Jim Wallace of the Gun Owners Action League joining us again on Monday's Cam and Company. Uh, make sure that you are checking out BarionArms.com throughout the day and the uh, upcoming weekend. We will be letting you know about all of the latest Second Amendment news and information that is important. Maybe even a couple of uh, human interest stories as well. Things that you know aren't necessarily going to grab the headlines, but I think are still of note for uh, gun owners and Second Amendment supporters. Uh, I would also encourage you to become a VIP subscriber. All you have to do is go to barryandarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. It's our way of saying thanks for your support. We're going to give you exclusive content, new stories, analysis you won't get anywhere else. Because your support does matter. It really does make a difference. Until we talk again, be well. Be safe. Be free. Have a great weekend. We'll see you soon.